the Mojo Radio Show. We scour the planet to find the biggest names in health, creativity, wellness, strategy, brand, performance, management, and more. Turn this up. This is going to be crazy. This is Jason Overcome Redman. Hey, I'm Dave Acosta. Hi, this is Cal Newport, author of Deep Work. G'day, this is Ryan Park. I'm Batman. This is Ivan Davies from my town. I'm Andrea Burke from the Canadian National Women's Rugby Team. And Lucas speaking deep. This is Tate Fletcher, Cage Fighter. Listen to Mojo Radio Show. Or I'll be coming to see you. Then we ask them the big questions. Oh, man, this is such a great question. You've actually landed right on the mark. That's a, another really good question. It's great talking to some clever dudes, frankly. I've gone probably a little bit more in-depth with you than, uh, than I have in the book. I've done, like, 500 interviews, but nobody asked me about this. <laughs> oh, wow. And sometimes we talk about darts. There we go. Can I tell you, Dina, Gary's favourite sport is darts. How athletic is that? I think it's uh, interesting that it's your favourite, but I won't be judgmental. (laughs) Look, it's the only sport that I know of where a prerequisite is a pint of beer and a cigarette. Come on, let's be honest. The Mojo Radio Show. We don't take ourselves too seriously. So you try throwing half a dozen darts in a row and just see how you go, Uh, my friend. But we hope you will. Welcome. I got my to the Mojo Radio Show. Hey everybody and welcome to this week's edition of the Mojo Radio Show, the little program that's all designed to help you get your mojo working in and out of work. We just find interesting people from all over the globe and people who have their mojo working in some aspect of their life. We chat to them. We ask about their opinions, their tips, their tools, stuff they're doing that we could apply to our own world to live a better life. And I guess as importantly is take that stuff away so that you can be of service to a friend, a mate, a work colleague. Somebody else who's maybe feeling their mojo is not working, we try and give you stuff that you can apply to your own world and their world. A bit of gold that we can drop to help others to be the best they can be. So that's what the little show is all about. If you like what we're doing, check out iTunes, drop us a little review. That certainly helps the world we live in and our world makes us feel good as well. Uh, Driving the big red bus, we call the Mojo Radio Show and he's ready with his Robbo Remarkable Fact. Welcome to the show, mate. <laughs> Thank you very much. How are you? I'm going great. I'm still buzzed on the World Heavyweight Championship fight, <laughs> which is my remarkable fact. But before we get yeah. to that, let's not get ahead of ourselves. What have you got as a remarkable fact? Robbo's Remarkable Fact. It's about time. Let's go. Okay, here's a good one. I, I, I was intrigued by this. Did you know that back in the days when the dinosaurs were work, walking the earth, there was also volcanoes erupting on the moon. No, did not know that. There you go. How interesting is that? You look at the moon and you think, ah, big dust bowl. Obviously not. NASA knows better, apparently. So that means there must have been some sort of moisture because you need yeah. moisture to come out you of think that, right? the lava. One. That's, I know, that's right. interesting. I wonder what the scientific... I didn't do that much research. <laughs> too many questions. If you want to make it remarkable, I need the data. I need the stats. I need the science. <laughs> I'll get NASA on the phone. Hang on. Lola, can you get NASA on the line? I'm sorry, I can't do that right now. Yeah, yeah. calling now. <laughs> I have to say there was a remarkable event in recent times that I have been absolutely fascinated by mm. was the World Heavyweight Boxing Championship of the World that's gone to a Mexican. Did you see it? I didn't see it. I saw it on the news, so I saw I saw the edited highlights. But, yes, I, I'm fascinated by fatty beer-drinking Boomba Boy who knocks out world champion heavyweight boxer. I think that's awesome. <laughs> it is. They're saying it's the greatest, the greatest turnaround since Buster Douglas knocked out uh, Mike Tyson. Mm. 
I just think his name is Andy Ruiz Jr. And he's a Mexican guy and he was the stand-in. It's the classic Rocky. They couldn't get the guy that they wanted Anthony Joshua to fight. So his management said, let's get this guy. Now, they say we knew it'd be a good match. We knew this. But during the press conference, they openly said, we didn't get a chance. (laughs) So they lined this kid up. He trains with his dad and his coach. Everybody in the world thought, as you said, who's this fat guy? And they call him the fat guy champion. Who's this fat guy? People look at the photos, as I did, and went, this is just a gimmick, surely. This kid can actually fight. Now, why it's remarkable, and here are the business lessons that I take from this. Anthony Joshua, heavyweight champion, undefeated. The interesting thing is that he was – very, he was very active. He did a documentary, very active on his socials, taking in the shots, living the heavyweight champion of the world lifestyle. He didn't do the work. He didn't do the work. He didn't know the enemy. He listened to the hype. He listened to his management, listened to his counsel, as in, you got this. Andy Ruiz Jr., on the other, on the other hand, did the work. He had a strategy. He flanked Anthony Joshua. Now, flanking means you find a weakness in the market leader's strength. And he knew that he was what they call open. And because he gave away, I don't know, six inches in height and probably six inches in reach, he had this advantage because he said, all I wanted to do was open him up. So the first lesson is you find the market leader and you find a weakness in their strength and you flank them. You go where they don't expect you to go. And you take advantage of your own strengths. He also had a very profound why. Andy Rez Jr., why are you doing it? Because I want to do it for my people. I want to do it for my country. I want to become the first Mexican heavyweight champion of the world. And most importantly, every time he went back to his corner, his coach and the cornerman said, think about your kids. So he had a very compelling why as to why he did it. He had a plan. The other thing he said during the press conference, which is fascinating, was he said, I was patient. I knew if I hung in there, I could continue to open him up. And he never rushed it. He never tried to do it. He he went through, they say, you know, three, four, five rounds until he got to the sixth round where he finally opened up and he put him on the the canvas. And it's something Gary Vaynerchuk, who's one of the great business social media influences right now. He said, one of the issues today is we're not patient, but this guy was patient. He stayed, he stayed the course. He'd done the homework. He'd studied his opponent. Uh, honestly, I, I think it's such a remarkable story of this guy from Mexico. And what's going to be really fascinating now is for him to hold on because he basically won every belt except one. And they talked about the fact that you can't be the heavyweight champion of the world when you sleep on silk sheets. <laughs> and so now this kid from Mexico who did it, he, I mean, he's from the street. Don't get me wrong. He's from the street. What's going to be interesting to see him stay humble to the streets and to his Mexican heritage and not get caught up in all the fame and all the accolades that come with being a world heavyweight champion. I, honestly, I think this is a, an amazing case study We can follow it. I'm such a fan of what this kid did. Above all else, man, he's a really, really good fighter. Technically, he's beautiful. So there you go. I think the big question, though, is can he beat Ivan Drago? 
The Mojo Radio Show. Our guest this week, J.P. Donnell, was a Navy SEAL for 11 and a half years. He did three combat deployments. This guy was in the thick of it as a Navy SEAL in Ramadi. He has numerous awards for valour, including a Silver Star. And today, he's an instructor with Echelon Front, a super successful leadership company led by former SEALs. Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. And this is a big company with a lot of momentum. He's, a, he's basically a Texas frogman. But as we'll cover, <laughs> this, is, this is a theme we have through a lot of our guests. It was not an easy road for JP because only two years ago he was lost and delivering pizza. <laughs> so, Robbo, you've ordered your pepperoni pizza. Imagine a former Navy SEAL. I think he seal. was here last night. <laughs> Imagine him turning up and you go, where's my tip? And you're looking at a Navy SEAL, three combat deployments. Yeah. Mate, where's my tip? Just hang on one second. But it's funny that, and I love that, I, I want to throw that in there because I think quite often we think a lot of our guests who've done great things are born to it, they had an easy road. This guy did not have an easy road, as you'll hear. And it was only two years ago when things turned around for him and he learned, as a lot of our great guests do, he learned to overcome. So with all that, JP, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, mate. Thanks for having me on this. JP, when somebody meets you for the first time and asks you what you do, how do you like to reply? I don't have a cookie-cutter response. It just depends kind of also like who the, who the individual is and how that conversation is starting. Um, you know, sometimes I'll just say, oh, I'm a leadership and management um, consultant. And, you know, some people just kind of leave it at that. And uh, that's kind of like my vague answer if I really – don't want to engage with a person at that time. Maybe I don't have time to kind of go into <laughs> what I do um, or they're just a person that I don't want to be speaking with. <laughs> JP, it's interesting. When I hear you speak on different shows and on videos, which are easily found online, one of the things about you is you, you have this deep desire to be of service and we'll, we'll cover off your career but even today, you you always talk about wanting to be of service to others. Where does that come from? I think it was ever since I was a kid. And I have an appreciation um, for all the things that I've been given. I think we should we should find a way to serve others. Um, that's, for me, that's always provided fulfillment. You know? um, if you can find a way to help others, whether it's a conversation, a cup of coffee, picking up someone's meal, um, I always try, if I, you know, one of the things that my family, we really like to do is if we see an older veteran who's like wearing, you know, a hat that, you know, says he served the World War II or the Korean War or Vietnam War, we usually like to pick up their meal without them knowing. And, um, you know, I just, I like to make people's days better. And I, I truly feel that if we as a society went around trying to, look at ways that we could serve others instead of looking at ways that people can serve them, we would be much better off. So if I take you back to your sister, your sister worked two jobs and took care of the kids and with all that was still able to be a top-ranked figure competitor all the while she was studying as well. When you when you think back to your sister what what part of your character do you draw from her, or how has that helped shape you as a man? So, my sister, 
is just a phenomenal individual. She is extremely hardworking. And when I think of my sister as well as my brother, they just had the win at all cost mindset. You know, and they got that from my dad, they got that from my mom. You know, my my dad for the majority of our youth growing up, he did construction and he would do cooking, you know, so he would do whatever he could to provide for our family. And so did my mom. There was times where my mom would wake us up super early and we would, she taught separobics and, or fitness classes at a fitness center and gym. And we would get ready for school. We would go to the gym at like four 30 in the morning so that she could teach a 5 a.m. and a 6 a.m. class. We would be sleeping in the office. She'd get done with those classes. She'd wake us up, kind of finish tweaking, getting us ready for school. We'd go, she'd drop us off at school. She'd work, you know, a full day, pick us up from school, and we'd go back to the gym with her and hang out and do homework, and, and, and that's what we did while she's working. And the whole time we're doing that, my dad's out working 12, 14, 16, sometimes 18-hour days of construction and cooking just to make ends meet. So my brother's always done that, you know. My sister's always done that. My sister, you know, was raising her daughter uh, while having two different jobs, going through school uh, to get into medical school. And now she's, you know, she's less than a year away from um, being a neurosurgeon. You just mentioned your old man. And something you said was that my old man put everything into me. What, what did your old man put into you, JP? He put, so when I, when I said that on different podcasts and interviews, um, it was the, the time and dedication that my dad put into me the summer before I left for the military to prepare me mentally and physically for the military. My dad knew that most young SEALs don't make it through training uh, because they're immature, they're just not mentally strong and stable. And that's a good thing that those guys don't make it through training. We We don't want young, immature guys running all around the world and charging millions of dollars worth of gear in other people's lives. And my dad knew because you know, I had uncles in the military and aunts and, you know, my, both my grandparents had served in the military, I mean, sorry, grandfathers. And so he knew that where I needed to be. And so that summer I worked construction for my dad. My dad was very military boot camp slash Navy SEAL buds instructor hard on me when I was working the day. He like never let me rest. I was constantly moving, you know, minimal times for lunch. You know, it was just, he was he pushed me. He pushed me past what I physically thought I could do. And he pushed me mentally to a place that I'd never been. And I'll ever, I'll forever be in debt to my father for, you know, putting me in that scenario and situation to prepare me for Bud. And if we go into your career with the SEALs, it's when you hear any SEAL talk about Ramadi, that, that was the Super Bowl. At that time, it was really happening. It was dangerous. The conditions were harsh. You had an unpredictable enemy. Yet you said, quote unquote, that in Ramadi, you thrived. Why is that, JP? What is it within you that when you got to that, which people speak so emotionally about and was so full on, why was that an environment where you thrived? Um, you know, ever since I was a little kid, I wanted to be a Navy SEAL. And it's something I, I would dream about and think about. And just I was infatuated by becoming a Navy SEAL. 
And when I got into the field teams, I had, you know, I made it through buds. I checked in the field team. I, I felt that I had accomplished my goal and dream, but I also knew that that goal and dream had just begun. And I wanted to be in combat. I wanted to, to, to kill enemy fighters. There was bad, evil people that we were dealing with in Ramadi and we were at war with them. And just to be in that position to make a difference and to serve those beside me and to serve the Iraqi population, the innocent families that lived in these cities who were being tortured and murdered by these insurgent fighters, to have the opportunity to bring the fight to them and to hunt them and kill them and bring fear into their hearts, it was an amazing opportunity. And I truly feel that God had created me to be in the team. He created my, you know, path to lead that way. And I mean, I was in the teams and I, you know, I was able to have, uh, you know, I thought a pretty good career. You know, I didn't do my full 20. I just did just under 12 when I got out, but I really enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed the simplicity that comes with, um, being deployed and being in combat, even though it is a incredibly chaotic, deadly environment. You just mentioned serving and working with those beside you. One of the guys that you built a relationship with and spent a lot of time with was Chris Kyle, um, the famous SEAL sniper. We know him from the fabulous book he wrote and an incredible movie that was made, which went on to win Academy Awards. Tell me, tell me about your relationship with Chris. What, what was that like? What, what are your fondest memories of that time? Uh, Chris, Chris was an awesome individual. You know, he loved his country. He loved his family. He loved being in the military. He loved being a field and being a sniper. He was an incredibly well-trained sniper, and he was very disciplined. The reason why you know Chris was able to have the numbers that he had was because he was disciplined. He was on his gun more often than other snipers. He studied the area that they would be going into so he could put himself in those um, opportune situations and positions of Overwatch. And, you know, and Chris was, was very skilled with his craft. He took being a sniper very serious. Anytime we had the chance to train long-range shooting, we were doing long-range shooting. He was always collecting data on his gun and the ammo and the weather conditions and just all the shooting conditions. And I mean, he was definitely a master at his craft and it, and it showed. And so just being be able to see somebody take their job as serious as Chris did, it was hard for me not to as well. You know, I had a lot of good memories with him and the other snipers that we had. And I mean, we had a lot of fun. We, uh, we had a very tight bond. You know, Chris was, uh, was an amazing man. You know, I talked to him, you know, the week, the week that he was killed. And, um, you know, it was, it was a tragic hit to the teams and it was a tragic hit to our nation and the world in general. Um, I mean, one of the things that Chris used to love doing is he would always slap me in the back of the head. Like I wouldn't know anybody who was coming up behind or, you know, I'd be distracted talking to somebody and he'd just come up and he'd slap the shit out of the back of my head <laughs> because he knew that was like my switch to get just, I'm going to kill whoever's behind me. 
And I would turn around getting ready to fight, and it's just Chris with that big old smile and the goofy old laugh. And I'm like, God, I fucking hate you, bro. You know, he would do that. And he'd just be laughing and slapping his thigh and leaning over. And, you know, he always did that. He, Chris was a jokester. He was always teasing and laughing and enjoying life. He wasn't a solemn, like, quiet guy. He was very, very much, you know, the guy that was always laughing and choking and joking and, and, and pushing buttons for, for people. It's really interesting hearing you talk, JP, because the things you talked about with the attributes of what made Chris so successful as a sniper are the same attributes I've heard attributed to you. And I am very curious about how those things relate back to business, doing the work, being focused, being disciplined, being a master of your craft. I mean, as any business person listening can take those tools and do an audit on themselves. And it's in hearing you and reading about your stuff that I was really quite excited to talk to you today because one of the things that seemingly in our world today we lack is focus. And being a sniper, I really want to just want to spend, just camp here just for a second, to understand when you have a target in sight, and there are many videos and, and stories where you have that target in sight and you, you graphically describe what you're doing. How do you actually maintain or zero in to focus in that time? Because most of us who are following a target at 300 metres to do what we've got to do and, and to basically take a life, our heart will be jumping out of our throats. How do you calm yourself to, to be focused? What's the dialogue going through your brain? How do you conduct yourself in that moment of focus? There's nothing special that you do. Your training kicks in. And the reason why I'm able to be calm and take those shots and it not affect me is because I've done that shot thousands of times. I've done that shot in difficult shooting positions and environments and in stressful environments. And I've imposed physical stress and mental stress and sleep deprivation upon myself while doing those shots in a controlled training environment. The, the thing that, people miss out on is they don't train enough. People always say, well, I don't have time for training. Yeah, absolutely. Actually you do. It's just not a priority. I, I hate when people say, I don't have time to do this. You know, instead of saying, I don't have time to do something, say it's not a priority of mine. And that will force you to actually kind of step back and back. Hmm, okay. Now when you have to say something's not a priority, Either you fully agree with it because you've got so many other things going on or you'll realize that you're just making up a lame excuse. And so the amount of training that we did was incredibly dynamic and stressful and intense and it prepared us to be able to take those hard shots uh, in a stressful environment while being calm and relaxed and maintaining our composure. How are you taking that and applying it into today's business world through Echelon Front, JP? Training doesn't have to be complicated. And that's the thing. People complicate training. You can do some sort of training. When I was first coming on board Echelon Front to be a leadership instructor and speaker for Jocko and Leif, I had watched Leif give a brief once, and I recorded it. And then I had watched Jocko give a brief once, and I recorded it. And then I knew that I was going to become on the team. And eventually I was going to end up having a client say, oh, cool. 
Um, yeah, you know what? I can't afford Jocko. I can't afford Leif, but I can afford JP. What's the availability? And it would work out. And so I knew that that was going to come. I had other stuff I was working on and doing at the time and trying to provide for my family. But I can tell you that I was spending four to six, sometimes eight hours a day rehearsing my presentation because that was a priority of mine. I had to be disciplined. I had to be dialed in and I had to take action. I couldn't sit around and say, oh, cool. I have something coming up next week. Let's get started now. No, I wanted it to be the point where they're like, hey, you have a gig tomorrow. Let's rehearse it once over Skype and you're doing it. I'd be like, check, Roger, done. Like where it wouldn't be an issue because I didn't want to have to be reactive. I wanted to be proactive. I wanted to have control of my environment. And if you train hard enough and you stay disciplined and you take action, for the most part, you can control your environment. And so that's what I was doing. And I was going through the, my presentation in brief while listening to them speak as I was clicking through the PowerPoint slide. So it mashed up. And then I started um, just repeating what they're saying. And then I typed out my whole script as well, not like scripted and it's all scripted, but like type out my script as in like my key talking points and stories and like takeaways and things to think about. Like I typed it all out and then I would go through the presentation looking at that while listening to them while clicking through the PowerPoint and then got to the point where I was reading my stuff, clicking through and then I was presenting and I would do that while I was standing up as if I'm in, I was in front of a room and I acted as if I couldn't see the next screen or I couldn't see the notes or, you know, whatever environment could possibly happen. So I wasn't dependent upon anything else other than me knowing my presentation. And so that's what I did to prepare with Echelon Front. And I still rehearse before I do a gig. I still rehearse before I do an FTX. I still debrief at the end of the day of training with whoever I've been working with so that we can learn. And so if you truly want to become a master in your craft, you've got to put in the time. And as you sit here listening to this podcast, you're actually wasting time. So you should have some sort of a sense of urgency when you get done with this podcast to come up with a game plan. And you need to reverse engineer what you want out of life. And then you can come up with a game plan and then get to work. The biggest thing is people don't actually put in the work that's needed to better themselves, to be better at sales, to be uh, better at operations or supply chain, or to be a better C CFO or COO. They don't actually put in the work. Most of the time they're in that position because they've been appointed or they have a college degree. And so they're in the management and leadership position, but they actually have no actual leadership experience. And so they sit around just waiting to be told what to do or be waiting to be told how to lead. And maybe their company will be fortunate enough to bring in a leadership and management consulting company or send them to a seminar, or maybe they save up and go to some training. But until they actually take action and do something, most of them will never progress a lot. There was, there was a time where Jocko Willink and Leif Babin, who you served with in Task Unit Bruiser in Ramadi, they yes, had come back from service. They had set up the business called Echelon Front, of which we've made reference to a couple of times through the show. Those two guys approached you to say, JP, come on board. What impact has that had on you personally, JP? I've completely changed my life. 
completely changed my life. Uh, I am, I'm, I'm forced in a great way to be more dialed in, uh, to be disciplined, uh, to constantly push myself, um, to learn and grow and, and to be humble. And because, you know, life is humbling. Either you stay humble or you're going to get humbled. And again, I choose to try to be in control. And so I know that life is humbling. And so I just try to keep myself humble. And I mean, the ability to work alongside Jocko and Leif and now all the other amazing instructors that we have has just been amazing. You know, I look at the guys I work with and you always hear like the direct reflection of yourself and your life is the five people that you spend the most time with. Well, I mean, the, the, the people I spend time with are guys that I strive to be like, that are amazing fathers, that are amazing consultants and business-minded and that are amazing speakers and that are just, it, all aspects of their lives are put together. And it's just something that keeps me aligned and straight. And the ability to work with the companies that I've gotten to work with because of Echelon Front has made an amazing impact on my life. And I get to share those lessons that I, I learned with them to other companies. I share the lessons that I learned in the military with these people. And it's just crazy. Like the small impact that the impact that you can, that you can have with somebody is, uh, is humbling. Life, who you served with in Ramadi, who was one of your senior officers, he gave you a saying, which I've heard you talk about, which was, it's not what you preach, it's what you tolerate. What are the things today, JP, that you just simply do not tolerate? What are the non-negotiables where you say, not happening? That's a really good question. Um, well, I mean, just people quitting and they don't need to. Like That's one of the things I'm trying to instill into my kids is just having this never quit mentality. Like, yeah, life is going to be hard. It's going to be difficult and it's not fair, but that doesn't mean that anything is going to be given to you. You have to work for it. So when people are lazy and they expect things to be given to them, I just, I completely disconnect from them. I have a really hard time when, when people are always expecting something to be given to them. Um, that sense, that sense of entitlement, that, that, that bugs me, you know? And then obviously when you're doing something immoral, uh, or against your company's code of ethics or, you know, towards a teammate or a friend, uh, you know, when you, you screw them over, you cross the line. Um, that's one of those things where I just, uh, I just, you know, I just have to wash my hands of that. There was a gap between being in the military and joining Echelon Front. And it was at that time that you, you'd left the military and you moved to Mississippi to follow your girl, Amanda. And you said you're working in finance, but it wasn't working out. And it was a tough time for you. What was missing then, mate? Well, what was it in that time that just wasn't working? Because you had the girl, you had a wonderful life of service to look back upon. What was missing in JP's world? I didn't have a mission. Um, uh, I, I was just going through the motions. I got out of the military, and when I was when I knew I was getting out, like I really didn't have like 
like a set game plan. I was like, oh, cool. I'm going to probably go overseas and contract and do some anti-piracy gigs. And I don't know, that's about it. And then I had the opportunity to work sales with a financial company. And it was a great opportunity. I learned a lot about business and sales and just people outside of the military. And it was, it was great. You know, I made them do some money. Uh, but I just, I wasn't fulfilled. I didn't have this sense of fulfillment anymore. I, I, I didn't really redefine what my mission was. Therefore, I just wasn't driven. And there's just a lot of, um, a lot of days and evenings that were just pretty dark in regards to just me not being happy with what I was doing or where I was at. And it affected my family. It affected Amanda. It affected the kids. And, um, you know, it was, it was a difficult time and we ended up getting a divorce. It got so bad between us that the relationship was so toxic that our marriage and our family completely fell apart. And, um, you know, it was about a year that we were completely apart and separated and divorced. And it was, you know, it was hard. It was rough. And it put a lot of strain on her, it put a lot of strain on me, it put a lot of strain on the kids. And um, it was you know, a very, very difficult time for us. Um, I just, I didn't really enjoy life. I didn't enjoy what I was doing. And I also didn't know that my testosterone levels were super messed up. And because I had issues with my pituitary gland or the sac around my pituitary gland, the damage from um, you know, concussions and TBIs, traumatic brain injuries from uh, just deployments and just being in the field teams, dealing with heavy machine gun fire and uh, explosive breaches and being a sniper with that, you know, concussion of that large caliber round and all these other things. I, um, you know, my, my body wasn't producing testosterone like it was supposed to. I let, my levels got just dangerously low. And when I got that low, you know, it really started to affect the way I thought, um, my my levels of energy, my ability to sleep, my mood swings and irritability. Uh, and I went I went to a dark place for a while. And, you know, that was just a compounding thing in addition to not being in the military, not enjoying, you know, not loving what I did, not feeling like I was serving. It was, um, it was difficult. What I'm curious about, JP, is in your words you said, I was a horrible father. And I was a horrible husband, but then you took 100% responsibility. You said it was my fault. You took complete ownership of that situation. What I'm curious about is why, why can't a SEAL or someone in the military or someone, a first responder who can do it in the heat of battle, why can't they transfer those skills, that thinking, that discipline, that fortitude, why can't that be transitioned into the home? Like, why can't we not, not be the same alter ego on the battlefield as we are at home, but why can't we take the things that we know, the intelligence we know that works? Why do we have a hard time transferring that into the family, into our personal lives? Uh, because of our egos. <laughs> we allow our ego get it, to get in the way and we feel uh, like that, those same principles don't apply at home. But they're the most important at home because that affects how we work. That affects how we live. When your home life falls apart, everything else tends to as well. 
And it is solely because of ego and complacency. We get complacent with our relationships. You know, we, you know, you start off when you, when you meet someone new and you fall in love, you do all these things for them. And then over time we get complacent and you stop opening up the door. You stop telling someone that they look beautiful. You stop getting them a random thing of flowers or cards or, you know, you, you stop picking them up for lunch or, you, know, you stop getting them a book from a book series that you know they enjoy. You, you stop listening because you get complacent. You allow your ego to get involved and you don't feel that you should apply what you know outside of that relationship. It's funny because one of the things that you guys are famous for is not quitting, is no surrender never settling in your terms. Yet you've said, I know all that, yet I gave up on my marriage. And to your credit, which I find terribly inspiring, you took 100% responsibility for it. You said, quote unquote, it was my fault. How, do we, how does one quit on something which is the best friend, the most important thing, we put it at the highest level of our priorities in our lives. How do we, how do we quit on the people that mean the most to us? We take them for advantage and we take advantage of them because we got complacent. I got complacent in my marriage and I allowed all these other things in my life to compound. And I started to buy into the old, the, the, my own bullshit that I was creating and saying was going on. And uh, instead of me looking to Amanda for support, instead of me looking to serve my wife, and to serve my family, I wanted just to do my own thing. And I'm telling you, when your testosterone levels are that low, you do not think right. There is some legitimate instability with your thought process, with your reasoning, with your ability to focus, sleep, and do all these other things. And I'm, I am convinced I've talked about this on a handful of podcasts and I've actually had people reach out to me and reach out to Echelon Front about me doing an interview and I was diving deeper into it. But I am convinced that the lack of testosterone when men have TBIs or concussions or uh, just been in a stressful environment where their testosterone levels get very low that is the leading cause of why firefighters, cops, and veterans are killing themselves. Because guys have such a big ego, they don't want to go get themselves checked for low testosterone. And I wish, I really wish, that from the first time I was on Jocko's podcast until now, every time someone sent me either a Facebook message or a Twitter message or an Instagram message or a LinkedIn message, I would and told me that, hey man, I listened to you on so and so's podcast. I went and got my levels checked. Thank you. Mine were drastically low, and all the things that you talked about, the issues that you had, and the issues that you're currently having, is what I'm going through. Now I'm gonna go get my shit fixed. Thank you. I've actually had a couple of veterans tell me that they're in a super dark place and were going to kill themselves, but they listened to whatever podcast I was on and said, you know what, 
let me go get some, let me go get some stuff checked out. And then whatever it was in my story that inspired them to, to keep pushing, to keep living, it doesn't matter what that was, but the fact that that was able to be shared and someone went and checked that out, that's incredible. That's gold, JP. That is absolutely gold. That's gold. Because that's something we don't think about in the home or at work, the stress for it. We don't think about the fact that it could be something chemically within us like testosterone. Yeah, it is. I'm telling you. Like, I don't, I'm not, I don't have the scientific knowledge and background and like, or studies to back it up. But I'm telling you, everybody that has heard me say that, that was experiencing those same issues, they went and got it checked out. And they're like, yeah, my levels are super low. I've been on TRT for the last month. I'm back to being normal. Thank you. JP, you've mentioned your family. And I'm just curious, you've said that your stepson, Aiden, has said to you that the flag is daddy's favorite thing, the American flag. And we had a sports psychologist on the show a couple of times called Michael Gervais, who's the sports, the mental performance coach for the Seattle Seahawks in the NFL in the States. And he had this wonderful saying that game recognizes game. And the game that you bring as a dad, as a leader, will be reflected by those around you. The game you represent will be reflected in Aiden because you are his superhero. When, when you think about Aiden, you think about the flag, you think about you as the man, what, what is the game or the message of the values that you are looking to represent for your own kids? So, you know, I have Aiden as my stepson. I call him my bonus boy. <laughs> <I'm>, uh, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's, he's my man, you know. Um, and then I have, you know, our twin daughters and the things that we teach them is all the same. You know, work hard. Be honest. Do the right thing. And if you simplify it, that, that, that's also extreme ownership. You know, extreme ownership, if you want to break it down to like one other little key phrase, it, it, I think in my mind is do the right thing. And so I just tell my kids to do the right thing. If it's to stand up for somebody that's being picked on, I don't care what happens at school. You do the right thing. You protect the weak. You protect those that are being picked on. Mom and I will take care of you guys. You know, if if you're having a hard time with a subject in school, spend some more time studying. Get off your iPad. Wake up early. Do your homework. And I'm so incredibly proud of all the hard work that Amanda puts into our kids with how busy I'm gone all the time. Because there's times, like, I'll call them before I'm starting my work day, and I'm talking to girls, I'm talking to her, I'm like, hey, what's Aiden doing? She's like, oh, he's, he's been up working on homework the last hour before he goes to school. I mean, that's incredible for a 13-year-old kid to do that and to know that, hey, I, I, I need to put in some extra work, and he puts in the extra work, and he gets the job done. If we talk about the people who have influenced you, you're influencing your kids, you're influencing Amanda, people you work with, but there was a man who influenced you. And what what I heard, which was really quite profound for me when I heard it, is that there was a period of time where you did not have a trident on your dress uniform. And the reason you didn't was because you'd placed it into the casket of your brother, your teammate, platoon commander, Seth Stone. When you think about that moment, JP, of 
giving your trident to the casket of Seth Stone, what was the legacy that Seth left with you? Like what was the the memory that he had an impact that you carry with you today as a man? Seth was an amazing servant leader. You know, and and, and maybe that's why, or not maybe, but I know that's a good portion of the reason why I try to serve others is because Seth was constantly uplifting everyone around him constantly trying to find a way to help others and to serve others. And Seth would never ask you to do anything he wasn't willing to do. And he was such an amazing leader that constantly built capital with his teammates. He built leadership capital, just like Jocko did, just like Lake did. And there is nothing that I wouldn't have done for Seth. There's nothing to this day that I wouldn't do for Lake or Jocko. Because I know they're not going to ask me to do something that is not necessary for mission success. They're not going to ask me to do something reckless. They're not going to ask me to do something stupid. They're going to ask me to do something that is needed for the team to, to succeed. And that's what Seth did as well. And Seth constantly found a way to serve the men that he worked with. Seth also taught you to carry, which is really interesting. I've never heard this from a SEAL before, but Seth also taught you to always carry a notebook and a pen. And that's not something you normally hear from somebody in the military. Just take me back to that moment of, and to this day, do you still always carry a notepad and pen? I actually have a notepad open right now while we're doing this podcast with a pen in case I needed to write something down. That's not normal. Um, but, you know, it also, I don't think it's super abnormal because I, I've heard Jocko talk about how he does that and he, I've seen him do that as well. Uh, it's just something to be prepared. Um, I mean, now we have smartphones, so people use their phones to write notes in it. But also you have to realize that if you're in a business environment and you're taking notes on your phone, it also looks like you're texting somebody or sending an email or you're on Facebook or you know, swiping right or doing whatever you're doing. Like, you know, like that can be perceived as rude or you not paying attention. But you pull out a notebook and you start taking notes in the middle of a conversation um, because, you know, you need to remember something or you're just showing them respect. But, hey, I want to make sure, you know, I usually tell people, like, if I'm taking notes and they're not used to, like, someone taking notes in a conversation, I just tell them, like, hey, you know, I have a good amount of, you know, TBIs and I tend to forget things and I value your time in our conversation and I want to make sure I write down uh, the critical pieces of this conversation in case I need to refer back to it. Um, or, you know, if it's business related, then that's easy because, you know, most good people in business should be taking notes when they're in meetings or meeting with a client or meeting with their leadership or meeting with their team or, you know, doing anything because we can only remember so many things. And there aren't any times that we, we forget a key piece of information. So why not mitigate that by taking notes? When somebody tracks back through your career, there, there was a moment which I love where you said, I always wanted to be a SEAL. And there are people, all of us have these things we want to do, JP, you know, things we, we want to do, things we want to have, people we want to be. But there was a period where... 
early in your career, an officer said, so you are a wannabe SEAL. And you stood up to that officer and said, no, no, it's not a wannabe. I'm going to be. There's so much power in doing that. Take us to that day. I was actually in boot camp, and it was one of the um, recruit drill commanders, um, they call them RDCs, that they came in and or, recruit drill, I don't know. RDC. I can't remember. It was 2001. And it was recruit drill something. I'm sure someone will correct me online on that. So thank you. Um, but um, I remember they, you know, they came in. They came into the barracks, and uh, they had everyone drop down and in the push-up position. And they said, "All the seals, all the seal wannabes, stand up, right?" And um, so these guys stand up, and I'm in the push-up position still. And they knew. They knew the guys that had contracts, and so they're going down, and they go, Danelle, aren't you a SEAL wannabe? And I just stayed there in the push-up position. I said, no, I'm not a SEAL wannabe. I'm a SEAL gonna-be. And then, of course, like, they kind of just, I remember, like, the look on their face, but then they, like, try to go back into, like, their little mode that they're playing, and they're like, well, push them out, smart-ass. And, uh, you know, whatever. And so it went on from there. But, uh, yeah, I was just always just like, no, I'm not a wannabe. I'm going to be. And that's the thing is, like, so many people, they have a hard time changing their mindset. It's as simple as changing the words you speak because the words we speak are powerful. They speak life. They speak truth. uh, They speak, uh, you know, our words are, are a powerful tool. We can build somebody up and we can break someone down with our, with a simple word, you know, or a simple phrase or, you know, uh, you know, I, you know, I have a very powerful way with my words and unfortunately I have a very powerful way with my words. And for a while, Amanda was on the brutal end of that. And this is not something I'm proud of. Um, but I can pretty much make anybody with just my words, if I wanted to just feel like a complete worthless person, like I don't care who you are. Um, and it's, it's not something I'm proud of. And I, you know, I, I did that a lot with Amanda and that was, you know, a horrible thing. I've done that with other people, you know, as well, uh, because I lost my temper and I said things that I couldn't control and our words are so powerful, but we have to remember, we can't take our words back. Once we've said them, they're there. And someone's going to remember that. They're going to feel that. Uh, so we have to be careful in, with what we say, what we speak into our lives. Um, I, I truly believe that about our thoughts as well. If you're always complaining, if you're always negative, if you're always, if there's always something going wrong with you, well, I wonder why. You know, because that's what you're always thinking about. But if you can change your thought process, you change the way you think about situations, you think about what the outcome's going to be and actually speak those positive words and speak what's going to happen, I believe there's, uh, there's some power behind that. You, I, I, I think that's such an important point. And then the other part, I think, with you, JP, is you back it up with your actions. So when you were in the SEALs, you said you always had your head shaved and you always presented cleanly shaved. 
And then even now you've said that even the night before a gig you're doing fresh lawn front, your shirt will be ironed, your clothes are laid out, your kit's sorted for the following day. So you are a disciplined guy in all aspects of not just in the gig itself, but preparation and how you present is important to you, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Because it's one less thing I have to worry about, one less thing I have to think about. Um, you know, I, we're doing some FTXs out here in Michigan. That's what I'm doing right now. It's our field training exercises. It's all the hands-on scenario-based leadership training that we do. And, um, you know, we, we wake up early, we do, we knock out a workout, then we get ready for the day and we go into work. And, um, one of the days, you know, I put out to the guys, I'm like, Hey guys, just remember we, we need to be shaving every day. That's what we do at Echelon Front. Uh, that's what we did in Tasking and Bruiser, and you know that's what we do out here in the FTXs. Uh, a couple of guys had gone a day without shaving, and I uh, put that out to the guys. Next day, wake up, and I was like, ah, uh, you know what? I'll just shower. I'm sorry, I'll just shave after I get back from the gym when I shower. We do our workout. I come back. I'm getting ready to head out, and I end up getting on the phone with our client. And there's like these weather issues and all this other stuff going on, and just crazy. I end up on the phone the whole time I'm trying to get ready. Well, guess what? I wasn't able to do. I wasn't able to shave, and I was just like, "You've got to be kidding me!" Like I just put this out to the guys, and then I didn't shave. I'm like, "You've got to be shitting me! This is ridiculous." And, uh, so as we're driving into work, um, I make up a little bit of time and I gave myself a little window where they will stop by gas station. I go in and of course they had like the crappiest razors possible and like this huge can of overpriced shaving cream. So I get that. I go back out of the car, we get, we get to the train site. We knock out all of our stuff. And I have like this little window before I have to do something else. And so I go on the side of the building, like it, like hidden behind these little, this little staging area. And I put my phone on camera selfie mode, and I grabbed a bottle of water, and I was shaving. Uh, and I was just like, I mean, it's just some crappy razor. I just, I was so mad at myself, right? Because I, I easily could have shaved right before I went to the gym. And so since that point on, like I, I just set my alarm an extra 15 minutes early. I bought this little kit that goes in the shower I travel with. And to wake up, I jump in the shower. I let myself sit there for a couple of minutes, listening to some music. And then I shave. And then we go work out. And guess what? When I come back from workout, I don't have to worry about shaving because it's done. And my clothes are pressed the night before. They're hanging they're ready to go because I don't want something to happen and I run out of time and my shirt's wrinkled or my pants, you know, like if you have a time to get it done now, do it. I'm respectful of your time, JP, and I appreciate you giving me your, your time. A couple of quick questions just to finish up, if I may. Is is that the path? I hear you, Jocko, Life Echo, talk a lot about being on the path. How would you describe the path to us and is what you're talking about and getting what we've talked about the last five minutes, is that being on the path? I think that's part of the path. And I think we all have different paths. Like people have to realize that you have your own life. You have your own path. And while I poke, I quote, poke the bear with Jocko 
Like if I'm up before him, I'll use a hashtag on Instagram up before Jocko. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are like, Oh shit, you're poking the bears. I'm like, dude, no, that's not going to upset Jocko. It's just funny. Right. It's just more, more so accountability for me. Um, but you know, people try to be someone else and that's a dangerous thing because while you're trying to be someone else, you lose sight of who you are and someone else's path may not be the right path for you. We're all built differently, right? Like my Jeep, that's four wheel drive can take a lot more rugged path than a sports car. And so you might be a finely tuned sports car and you're going to have to stay on nice paved roads and race tracks. But while you're on those, you're able to excel. You're able to perform. You're able to, you're able to accomplish your mission. You try to come on my path, you're going to be broken down and not useful to anybody else right away. And I can go on someone else's path as a Jeep and I'm not going to be as efficient. I'm not going to be as effective. And so while we should always strive to be better and we should always strive to be smarter and strive to be more disciplined, worry about designing your own path and your own mission and coming up with your own game plan so that you can take action and get to work. I read a book called Codename Johnny Walker, which was a book about his, him, basically him growing up as an Iraqi turning and being able to help, eventually helping the SEALs. And he was said yeah. to be an incredible warrior and people. He's an amazing the, interpreter, an amazing warrior, did some phenomenal things for our country uh, and the world in general. And so did our interpreter as well. Uh, his name is Moose and we're actually working to get him over back here to the United States as well. It was pretty interesting, JP, reading the story because it does change your view of, I guess, the war in Iraq, Ramadi, when you have people who are supposedly from the opposition, the enemy, coming across to say, we're not all like that. We're actually here to put things right. That's just an incredible story of what Johnny Walker, codenamed Johnny Walker, went through for in defense of his own country, his own people, his own family, and how he put all those things in front of himself selflessly and even saved a bunch of seals on many occasions. It's a really interesting read. I have the book. I haven't dove into it yet. I look forward to reading it, and I want to send it out to him and have him sign it. Uh, He's just an amazing man, and he is, uh, you know, now he's an American, and uh, he's able to... uh, you know, live a different life and live a better life than what he had in Iraq. And uh, it's awesome. It's, I mean, it's awesome to see that. When we talk about people like Johnny Walker, who was your interpreter, one of the attributes that they say about him is he basically had no fear and he put, he way put the seals and the mission way in front of himself. And on your email signature, where you and I have been going backwards and forwards to organize today's show, it has a little saying at the bottom. It says, live life without fear. We, my question is, we all have fears, and I don't know whether you today still have your own fears that you face up to on a daily basis or whatever, but when you write that, how, how should we interpret that and how should we face that? How do we, what's the stepping stone to facing a life without fear? Well, you have to recognize that fear 
for the most part, is something that we make up in our mind. And, you know, fear is always going to put limitations on you and what you're designed to do and what you're supposed to do. Fear is going to hold you back from greatness. Fear is going to hold you back from your dreams. It's going to hold you back from everything that you deserve in life, everything that you can work for. And so if you allow fear to control your life, you'll never be able to serve others. You'll never be able to fulfill your life. You'll never be able to help others do the same. So you just have to remind yourself to not allow fear to control you. Live your life without fear. I think people would hear that and go, I agree. That's all well and good. Tell me how yeah. to step into it, JP. Tell me, tell me something that's an actionable thing that I could do when I hear when I finish this podcast. I agree with you. I'm going to put that onto my wall to say I am going to live my life without fear. Tell me a stepping stone that I could do that I could actually prioritize and execute to start to live that life without fear. Okay. Um, myself, I grew up with a speech impediment. And I hated speaking in front of people. Hate it. Scares me. And so in the military, I was in a position where I had to speak in front of people when I was an instructor. But they didn't just throw me into a situation where all of a sudden I was going to talk in front of a large group of men and teach them a class. We would do rehearsals. We would start it off to where we would watch the other instructor teach. We would take notes on how the other instructor would teach and what they would say. And then we would create our brief based off of that in our words. And then we would rehearse it with somebody. And then we would rehearse it with a group. And then we, we would rehearse it actually going through the actions and having the people do all the different stuff for the scenario. And then you would do it in front of a group with somebody observing you. And if you forgot something, they would fill it in. And then you do that over and over until you could take the lead. Whatever it is that's controlling you, whatever fear that's controlling you, pick one small thing that you can do that counters your fears. So Dr. Jordan Peterson, um, Jocko had him on his podcast. He's written a couple of books. Uh, you know, one thing he talks about is like, okay, you're afraid of a needle. And I'm going to, you know, not say the story exactly the same, but he talks about how so-and-so is afraid of a needle. And so you would condition them to be around that needle, right? He'd say, hey, I want you to look over on that shelf across the room. There's a needle over there. And they would look over there. And depending on how they reacted, boom, you know, you'd do whatever. And then the next time the needle would be a little bit closer, a little bit closer, a little bit closer. And then it would do the point where, hey, can you pick up that needle? And then you'd work through to where you should go pick up the needle, but you kept it in the wrapper, kept the sheet. There was, hey, I want you to open up the wrapper and take the needle out. I want you just to take off the cap of the needle, but put it back on. And you do that over and over and over until they're used to it. You see, you start with something small and you get yourself used to it. I have a fear of drowning and I'm claustrophobic. So I had to constantly work on my breath hold and doing stuff underwater so I was comfortable. And I would start small. And I would make it to where I could hold my breath longer, I could do more things, and I became very comfortable in the water. Gold robber. Cha-ching, I would suggest. Before we 
wrap this little shindig up, JP. Can I throw to Robbo for a quick little segment to wrap this up? Do you have 90 seconds uh, of time left? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 for sure. Robbo. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah. Robbo's Nifty 90. All right, JP, shall we start the clock, mate? You ready for this? Let's do it. All right, mate. What was the last book you read? Discipline equals freedom field manual. Something you've always wanted to do but haven't. I want to skydive into a snowboard session off of a mountain. Oh, can I come? <laughs> that sounds like... Sure, let's do it. Uh, so is that is that a want to or going to, JP? I will, one day. All right, this is, the, this is part one of a two-part question. What's three words you would use to describe yourself? Ruggedly handsome. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> tenacious, addictive, and passionate. Three words that your team would use to describe you. Passionate, jokester, hardworking. If you could get a plane ticket to anywhere in the world for free, where would you go and why? <laughs> Australia. <laughs> I've always wanted to go there ever since I was a little kid. Uh, what's your favourite pizza topping? Mm, just one? Name as many as you can. Go. Uh, choice? When I do eat pizza, I really like pepperoni, sausage, um, black olives, and jalapenos. Whee. What's something best done slowly? Sharpening a knife. Favorite childhood memory? Riding horses up at my grandparents' property. Something you need to stop doing? Overthinking. Okay, here's the big question. You're out of bed in the morning, you're in the shower, listening to your music before you shave, but your mojo is just not there today. What's the song that you stick on to get yourself motivated and get into the day and pick up that razor and start moving? Amazing Grace by the Dropkick Murphys. Whoa, okay. Left to center. You're going to have to give us a backstory on that one. Yeah, bagpipes and amazing grace makes me think of all the funerals of my, all my fallen brothers. And it is my duty to live my life to honor them. So if I decide to be a lazy piece of shit and not do anything with my day, I'm not honoring them. I need to get to work. I need to serve others. And I need to work towards my common goals so that their sacrifices don't go for no reason. Wow. That's a goal. How many times have we asked that question, Gary? That's got to be the best answer we've ever had. That's amazing, man. JP, thank you not only for your service, for what you do for all of us, uh, regardless of our country. Uh, A couple of things that that I have really found intriguing in their interaction is, number one, when I hear you being interviewed, the harder it gets... Your reply is always awesome. And you are a man who lives his dialogue and when you speak it, you live it. And I just love the fact that the harder it got in Ramadi or in your own life or Echelon Front, the harder it got, you just went awesome. And you took that and stepped into it. And it's no different to setting up this appointment today for the interview because you said, I'm on the road. I've got a jammed couple of months. However, let's set a time. I'll make it happen. And to your word, you were on time, pad and pencil, ready to go. And I don't know, for us, it's just great talking to people who walk the talk as opposed to I've read a book and I've become an expert on it. And you, <laughs> you, you, the stuff you talk about is profound. You are so honest. You take ownership. It's been a dark road. You've had the highs, the lows, the uglies. But i got to say it's a true honour, mate, and I, I really appreciate you getting us into your, into your schedule. I, I really appreciate it. And, you know, the, 
I just, I, I, I try to remind myself every day that I get to do this, right? Whatever it is that I'm doing, I get to do that. And, and that was what I reminded myself every day that I was going through buds. And so no matter what we have going on in our lives, I promise you, somebody else would love to have the issues you complain about. Somewhere in this beautiful world, somebody would love to have the things we complain about, right? And so I just remind myself, I get to do this. And we should all strive to do that and hold ourselves accountable. So, uh, you know, with Echelon Front, we have an event called The Muster. It's a two-day leadership symposium. And we're actually, in December, we're going to be in Sydney, Australia. So, um, you know, hopefully I'm able to link up with anybody who listens to the show down there uh, while we're out there for The Muster. Uh, if you guys ever make your way out to Texas, hit me up. If you guys ever want to reach out to me on social media, it's at J-P-D-I-N-N-E-L-L. It's at J-P Dinell on Twitter, Facebook, and most of my interactions these days are on Instagram. J-P, thanks again, mate. It's been a true uh-huh. honor, a real privilege. Really, really enjoyed it. Hey, thank you very much, guys. I really appreciate the time. The Mojo Radio Show. Next time the doorbell rings with the pizza guy, I don't think I'll ever open the door quite the same again after that. Well, it's just made a $25 tip for a $15 pizza. Thanks, I buddy. I know. <laughs> Tell you what. This is Tate Fletcher, Cage Fighter. This is the Mojo Radio Show, or I'll be coming to see you. All right, folks, hit us up on Patreon. This is a very super cool platform where you can show your support for the show. We actually have hit our goal, so we are now looking to say, well, how can we improve the show even more? As we continue to grow and we endeavour to spread the Mojo vibe to more corners of the globe, we'd love your help. It's not a profit thing, trust me. We have no sponsors, no advertisers. We've now been going for six seasons free of all the interruptions, but we just want to upgrade our stuff. And literally, we just want to tell more people about the show. Um, There are some incredible rewards. Our good buddy Lofty Fulton has put together a beautiful intro and close for a show we're calling Explosive Hits 2019. No, 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 that's Explosive Hits 2019. Which is why we've got Lofty to do it. (laughs) But it's a a best of from kind of, well, the last year, but I must say I did delve a little bit further back because of some of the gold we had. And it's really... What's what's fascinating about this is it it just shows you the power of podcasts with how we, you tend to go through the last couple of podcasts and then forget. But man, six seasons there has been a massive amount of gold. There have been gold mines are plenty built based on not us, but the stuff that our guests have dropped on the show. We're putting together a special show, which I reckon will end up running an hour and a half, almost two hours, which is going to have some very interesting music a bit of fun to it, lofty, and an incredible array of the best of the best from the last year or so. We've put it into one big show called Explosive Hits 2019. It's a cracker. You'll get that if you get on board Patreon. We'll put it in Dropbox. You download it. It's yours forever. It'll never go to air. And then also each month we're going to do updates from backstage at the Mojo Radio Show as a little bonus. So anyway, I think there's swag in it. It's good stuff. It'll be something you can take, share, help others with. It's all on Patreon. I'll put a link to our Patreon page in the show notes. I still think my name was better. The Mojo Radio Show goes KTEL. 
The Mojo Radio Show. So to take us out, yes. I'm thinking we do something different. Oh, okay. You've got your thinking cap on. Let's go. Well, I think JP put his thinking cap on. When you said to him, what song would you play? Mm. So I'll link a few things together. JP served with Chris Kyle and there is a very emotive scene in The American Sniper with Bradley Cooper where he, as Chris Kyle, kneels down next to a coffin and with his fist he thumps his trident into the coffin, which is a symbol that all the platoon members do to honour their fallen brother. When you said to JP, what song would you play? He said, Amazing Grace. It took me back to that moment where Chris Kyle and or Bradley Cooper was paying respect to his fallen brother. So what I thought we might do, let's play Amazing Grace and this haunting version of Amazing Grace and let's finish with that. Whilst it's playing, let's all think about somebody we choose to honour, we choose to respect, somebody who's in our thoughts that we are paying homage to, live or someone who's passed. But let's just take a couple of seconds to breathe and think about someone special as we honour JP, those that have gone before us. And it's a pretty unusual way for us to finish the show, but not often enough do we stop to pause and think about and or respect others. What do you think? Should we do that, Robbo? Lola, Amazing Grace. Artist, your choice. I'm on it. We're out.
The Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at The Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.